Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Remember, remember the 5th of November. Welcome to this bonfire night edition of the Full Throttle Bikes podcast here at Eurosport. I'm Greg Haynes, and welcome also to what is our last Full Throttle podcast for a while now. We're going to be winding down just a little bit over the off-season, but no doubt some special editions coming your way on this side of Christmas. So stay tuned for those. But in the meantime, we're going to be talking this week to a rising star of the Bennett British Superbike paddock. Half German, half Australian, Ben Curry is going to be on the Bournemouth Kawasaki alongside Glenn Irwin as the two of them replace Leon Haslam and Luke Mossy for 2019. Of course, runner-up this year to Jack Kennedy in a very closely contested British Supersport title fight. It really was all about the two of them, wasn't it, across the campaign. But it's been an interesting journey for Ben so far. He's going to be starting testing tomorrow at the Guadish circuit in Spain on the BSB Kawasaki. So into the unknown in many ways. Let's see what he had to say when I spoke with him earlier on today. So Ben, first of all, I've got to say congratulations because you've gone from being a front-running British supersport rider to potentially now a front-running British superbike rider with the champion team next year. So how are you feeling right now? Yeah, I'm buzzing. I'm over the moon. Um, you know, like you say, to have such a strong year in supersport for the last few years and to now get an opportunity with such a great team in British Superbikes and, you know, to have this opportunity to go straight into that from Supersport is going to make my life a lot easier um, by being having the right guidance there straight away from day one and hopefully, like you say, be a front-running Superbike rider. It's like a new era, isn't it, in BSB in 2019? So many familiar faces aren't there anymore, so many new faces. It's going to be, it's actually sort of anyone's guess as to who's going to be the champion in 2019. Yeah, it's a big shake-up, really. Um, Last couple of years, you started to see a lot of new faces coming into BSB and doing quite well. Um, Obviously, you've got your your normal names that are up there, but a lot of young guys, um, you know, a lot of people like my age, um, you know, coming in, from super sport and other categories around the world. And, you know, it's a, it, like you say, it's a big shake up. Uh, you've got MotoGP riders joining the, joining the party next year. And I just think, you know, it's, it's a new sort of time for BSP, uh, young guys showing they're good enough, getting up, getting opportunities, which is fantastic for the sport. And I think BSP will, will be such an exciting year next year for sure. And I, I really can't wait to be a part of it, to be honest. 
Yeah, I'll second that. It's uh, almost impossible to know quite what's going to happen, isn't it? But we'll come to that in a minute and we'll come to testing as well, which you've got this week, Ben. But how did this all sort of start for you? We go way back to 1995, you were born. I can't believe you were born in 95, by the way. Makes me feel a lot <laughs> older. But you're 23 now. You'll be 23 when the season starts. Um, born in Germany, then moved to Australia. How did that all sort of come about? Um, yeah, well, my dad was actually a professional athlete himself. He was playing squash all around the world in in the world championship, and uh, he was he was number thirty two in the world, I believe. And you know, he he was based in Germany for a lot of years, and uh, he worked in a squash court that my mum used to go to, and uh, that's how they sort of met. And <laughs> next thing you know, they moved out to Australia. Well, they had me over there, and I was born in Germany, and. Then um, we, they moved out to Australia when I was two, and I was a German-speaking baby. I, you know, I didn't, I couldn't speak English, and I came out there, and my mum could, you know, barely speak English as well. She could speak pretty good English, but you know, enough to get by. And then, yeah, sort of lived in Melbourne and uh, grew up in the uh, southeastern suburbs, I believe. Um, well, I spent a lot of my childhood that, you know, in that direction, and sort of grew up through you know, doing sport with my dad and we, to be honest with you, we, we, st- I started quite late. I sort I sort of started racing motocross when I was about eight, nine years old, um, in a, in, in Melbourne, actually in a club called Nutterwadding Motocross Club. And, uh, me and my, me and my dad went racing with, uh, we lived in a street and the next door neighbors, we just decided to get a motocross bike one Christmas. And the next thing we all know, we're, joined a little club and we're just racing <laughs> and sort of took from there, you know, sort of like set that built up, you know, as, a, as, as life goes on, things evolve. And next thing you know, we're moving into the country in Victoria and we're, we're building motocross tracks and supercross tracks on our property. And we're trying to make it, you know, in the motocross world. And that was the dream to race in America and do all that sort of thing. And while we were doing that, we met a, uh, we, we we were really close with a with a family um, in in Melbourne that we used to go racing with all the time as well. And the guy's name was Robbie Phyllis. He, I used to race with his son. He was a little bit older than yeah. me, but we used to race. And he's a world superbike, you know, ex world superbike rider. You know, I believe he's he, he's was right up there. You know, I don't know too much. I never sort of got into that with Robbie. To be honest, we were more just family friends. And Robbie got us into having a go at road racing and. At the time, we were at a bit of a crossroad with motocross. Didn't really know where we were going, sort of thing. You know, I was a, a good rider. I just never really got a good, really good opportunity to make a living from it. And, you know, we sort of started out ra- racing road bikes as a bit of fun, and sort of just took it from there. And after after a year, well, not even a year really, but you know, sort of like eight months of riding a bike, the year sort of finished. I completed my first year of sort of club racing. Next thing you know, we're talking about racing Australian Supersport for Yamaha, and then all of a sudden that all got dropped, and we found ourselves in Europe racing in British Superstock 600 because apparently that's what you needed to do if you wanted to go mm-hmm. anywhere. We we didn't know really what we were doing, and we sort of just jumped into it. And you know, I had a lot of support back home from my dad's friends and stuff like that, and we managed to make it happen, come racing over here in the stock 600 and yeah, sort of had a massive eye opener and realized how little I knew about racing road bikes. And to be honest with you, nearly got burnt out a little bit and nearly sort of like 
threw in the towel a little bit because we, you know, we rode to some teams here and there that, you know, wasn't, wasn't ideal and, uh, didn't really give us a good understanding of what was, what the sport was all about. And, you know, almost turned our back on it, but we stuck it out. And, you know, like four or five years later, we're now at here, right where we are now and signing for a factory Kawasaki team in the Superbike. So yeah, it's been a hell of a journey. You know, I could probably write a book on some of the things that I've experienced and stuff <laughs> yeah. like living over here on my own. And I bet. Probably something I'll do one day, but yeah, it's been an amazing journey and, you know, I've loved every minute of it and I guess that's why I'm still here because I did, I do love it. I just enjoy myself all the time and, and uh, I know it's going to be a, hopefully a fantastic future as well. You're right though, because being around the BSB paddock and the CV paddock in Spain and other places like that, you do realise that you do have to give yourself a, a wake-up call, a reality check quite often, don't you? Because there are so many people who don't make it. We hear about all the people who do make it, but there's a lot of people who put a lot of time and money into racing and they don't get where they want to be and they just sort of disappear. Yeah, I know. There's a lot of um, a lot of unlucky you know, circumstances, a lot of probably, I don't know what the right word is, probably wasted talent. I don't know yeah. if they're wasted, but there's a lot of talent out there that you think to yourself, wow, can't believe you haven't made it. But it, it's the way of the game. You know, you've got to get a little bit of luck and fortune, but you also make your own luck and you've got to work hard and yeah. keep uh, putting yourself in the right position to get into these situations. And to be honest with you, you know, I consider myself very lucky this year to get this opportunity. I'm I've got the right people around me. You know, I just so happen to have the right people around me and I get along with the, the, the these people really well, which has given me this opportunity and they've, they've stored their faith in me. And, you know, I'm super grateful for that. And I realize that, that it's, you know what I mean? It's not, I haven't just got here because, you know, I'm the best in the world. I'm far from that. So I've got here because of opportunity from, you know, cause I'm lucky enough to know certain people that have been able to make this sort of happen, you know, and build relationships with Kawasaki and, you know, some of my team, my ex team bosses and stuff like that, that have built me that have, you know, really worked hard in getting me into the right position and start, you know, having faith in me for being the writer that I am and be- believing in me. So, you know, there's a lot of people to thank really about this whole situation and, you know, it doesn't go unnoticed, that's for sure. I was just checking, by the way, while you've been talking, Ben, about Robbie Phillips, because you are right, he was a front runner in World Superbikes, but it was four times he won a World Superbike race. He won his first at Phillip Island, and he was on the podium 27 times, which is a lot more than most people. So there you go. Next time you speak to uh, <laughs> Robbie, <laughs> you can tell him that. Yeah, I'll make sure I'll uh, let him know those stats for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, he, he still, you know, he still keeps in touch and he also yeah. follows my progress on Facebook and stuff like that. You know, he writes a comment here and there and, you know, you sort of, you sort of forget, you know, what Robbie's done actually. He sort of yeah. got me into this yeah. to be fair. And, but yeah, that's yeah. all good. Alex is involved as well, isn't he? Robbie's son. I remember commentating on him in World Superbike three years ago and World Supersport. He's done a bit of racing in his time as well, hasn't he? Yeah, he's, he's been here, there and everywhere. I believe he lived, he lived in Germany for a little bit and was uh, racing in the IDM. Um, really, really good rider. I, I think he's now racing in Australian Superbike, sort of in a privateer outfit. Another guy is just super talented, you know, and he could have, could have done all sorts of things to be fair. And, uh, but yeah, he, he's, uh, I believe he's still going in Australia and, you know, running right up there in the front in Australian yeah. Superbike. 
Yeah, and a bit of Motor America as well. But what about you then? Why did you, did your dad not want you to be a squash player? Did he never push you? Because some parents push their kids towards doing what they wanted to do. Some some parents push them away yeah. from doing what they did. What about your dad? Yeah, I know. It's, you know, we've been involved in all sorts of sports um, since I was really young. And, you know, I've been on squash court since I could, you know, walk. I was yeah. by my side and I was by dad's side and, you know, watching here, well, you know, as a, you know, real young, you know, young kid, sort of like a toddler, you know, really, really young. And I was watching dad, you know, play all sorts of opens around the world, like British opens and US opens and stuff like that. And, you know, with my mom there traveling and, uh, you know, I've always had a squash racket in my hand as since <laughs> I was a baby. And I was always quite natural at squash as a young guy because I grew up that way. But squash never really... I don't know, appealed to me. I don't know why it was, I guess the sport, uh, sort of wasn't as big as, um, we went into the modern era of sport. It, it, for some reason back in the day, it was such a, a big sport to do and you can make a great living off it. And it sort of went away. And then I've got, you know, my focus was all on playing soccer or well football as you call it over here <laughs> in Europe and you know Australian rules football and cricket I was playing that as a real young guy and really just started racing motorbikes for fun and then all of a sudden you know I stop all those other sports stop everything that we're doing and we go and racing every weekend and that's just it just evolved over time to be honest we never really set out and dad was ne- never really like I want you to do this sport and that's what you're doing no matter what you know I I I really like golf as well. You know, I played golf since I was really young as well, but motocross uh, motocross and then now obviously road racing is just one of them things that is it is what it is. That's what I'm doing now. I don't really know why, but it is. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> probably the most happening. expensive one as well. It's yeah, probably I not bet. ideal. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> and what about have you got any many characteristics from your mum or is most of this competitive spirit come from your dad's side? Yeah, mum's mum's family is a a very huge sporting family mum as such you know didn't really play many sports she used to play squash obviously um she was quite good at that and she was quite good at most sports as well but she never did anything professionally but the pure competitiveness has come from my dad like me and my dad used to fall out massively over all sorts of things like playing table tennis in the garage or playing (laughs) backyard cricket or whatever it was you know my dad even you know, when I was a kid, like, you know, 15, he wouldn't let me beat beat him at golf. He wouldn't let me beat him at anything. And, you know, we used to have massive, massive arguments about sport all the time. And all, all that was, you know, evolved, at, all that was happening in our sort of like life was sport. Everything was orientated around sport. And I, I guess that mainly came from dad, to be fair. Um you know, that competitiveness, more more so my dad. My mum was the peacemaker. She was always, like, yeah, trying to make yeah. things okay and, you know, everything's all right and comfort me when I was crying and because dad smashed me at table tennis and he wouldn't let me win as a kid and <laughs> all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's, the, that's sort of the memories as growing up, that dad was always the competitive one and mum always made things right yeah I'm laughing that because this reminds me of certain situations when I was growing up as well but it's good isn't it really because you it does teach you how to lose because in real life you're not going to be winning all the time are you well that's it you know my dad you know since I was a kid he was he, I wouldn't say he was hard on me but 
he made me battle hard and where like you know giving up giving up and stuff like that wasn't a sort of an option and you know you've got to keep keep working and you know not everyone's not everyone's a winner not everyone can win yeah and so you've got to you've got to deal with that so you know it's not like as a kid he wouldn't take it easy on me and if I started crying because I lost or something like that as kids do and you know throw the bat and say you know I'm going inside I'm not playing anymore (laughs) this and that he would you know he would call me a a wuss or something like that and say you've got to harden up you know if you want to be if you want to play sport and you want to do this and you want to do that you've got to harden up so he used to be quite hard on me in that sense but quite thankful for that in a way because although you know it it doesn't um directly translate into the person i am right now uh where you know that that's my attitude sort of thing if you're not first you're last that's not my attitude but it's also giving me it gave me an understanding of how life is from a young age uh pretty pretty early like you know it was quite clear how the world worked so, you know, things aren't going to be given to you for free. You've got to work for them, and that's just how it is. And that's sort of our motto in that sense where, you know, anything worth having, you know, is you've got to work hard for. It's just not given to yeah. you on a platter. So, yeah. yeah, I guess it's life lessons as you learn as a kid. You take it take it on, don't you? And you take it on to your sport. Well, and it shows in your records, really, just looking through them because, you, as you said before, you went into stock 600, felt that was the way to go, then... You were second, weren't you, in 2015? And that's when you started getting podiums and winning. Mason Law won the title. Then up to Supersport. Yep. Uh, it just seems to have been a, a gradual rise, but one that's very much been noticed as well along the way. And then title contender so often now, it seems, already, even though your career is still quite young. What about 2017? Are you happy with the way it all panned out in the end? Yeah, I mean, 2017 was the first year I stepped in with Gil and Kawasaki. Yeah. Um, sort of like back against the wall a little bit had a really rough year with uh craig fitzpatrick cf motorsport um you know just from injuries and to be fair that was a a rookie year in supersport and we come off second in the in the stock 600 championship into that you know that rookie year and we had it we hit the ground running there to be fair and we qualified second and my first ever qualifying in supersport and Next thing, I'm in the lead of the race, and I have a huge crash in the first race, and sort of, it was, you know, it was, it was sort of downhill from there. To be fair, I was battered and bruised all more or less all year. I still won a couple of races um, in the wet. Uh, the wet seemed to be the way for me because I had a dodgy uh, shoulder that I got in an injury uh, at Brands Hatch when I high sided when the rain started coming down in slicks and. So I was able to ride really good in the wet because I didn't. Ha- it wasn't too hard on my shoulder. So anyway, all that aside, we moved into the Gearlink, um, you know, year for first year, which was 2017, and uh, sort of like come off a, you know, I was I was fresh, I was ready for the new season, got a podium at round one, and then sort of just plateaued a little bit and couldn't really go forward for some reason. I was third, fourth, you know, third, sort of getting some podiums here and there and. I wasn't really moving forward and the halfway point of the year, I really I had a sit down with Michael Dibidaf and Ben Wilson that were sort of, you know, running the team and we're just like, what are we doing? We, this is not working. You know what I mean? Okay. We're, th- we're third or fourth in the championship at that point, but this is not working for me. I don't know what, what's happening. And 
they they were brutally honest with me and they knew what I needed to change. And, you know, I was oblivious to all those things, whether it was attitude and all those other things, attitude, fitness, all sorts of things, you know, I could go into detail, but, you know, it's, and I, I was very much like, okay, well, I'll fix it then. So I yeah. went away and my dad came over, put me through a little bit of a boot camp, um, mentally and physically. And, uh, came out the other end and sort of I can't remember where we started getting the ball rolling. I think it was Thruxton sort of mid year. And, uh, next thing I wasn't really off the podium. Um, I got three or four wins on the bounce. Um, got a couple of seconds at Cadwell and next thing, you know, we're right in the championship towards the end of the season. And, um, right at Assen, I think, to make it four or five wins in a row I can't remember but I got taken out on the last lap in the lead from Keith Farmer um, Keith yeah. Farmer got disqualified I uh, then obviously I had no points and we go into the last round and the championship's still alive because obviously Keith got disqualified from that move I was out of the championship but my teammate Andrew was still in it and then yeah we finished that year really strong moved into 2018 and that's where I really knuckled down. I knew I had an opportunity to stay with Gearlink. Uh, they give me a really good deal to, to stay. Um, without that, it wouldn't have been possible to do another year. Got a trainer, <laughs> invested in a trainer, invested in a, a dietitian, went really hard in the preseason and come round one, did a double and, you know, sort of been right there first or second all year. Uh, me and Jack Kennedy battled it out all year for the championship couple of sort of like unfortunate things happened in the, during the season with mechanicals and a little tip off here and there that just didn't help the cause but you know other than that I feel like I could have won the, the British Supersport Championship wasn't to be but you know we managed to get a really good opportunity out of it you know I feel like I you know I lost the battle but I won the war I got a, I got a factory seat in the Superbike and now we we put all that, you know, beside, you know, past us, behind us. And now we're full focus on this new chapter and it's, you know, super bike racing. So I can't wait. Yeah, well, you're right. 86 points between Jack Kennedy and you definitely doesn't do it justice, does it? When you go back through the record books, it doesn't tell you the story of the whole season this year, that's for sure. But yeah, it is. It's, it's ironic, isn't it, really, that you've ended up with a ride with the reigning champion team and, and Jack Kennedy doesn't, but it just proves again that it doesn't always, you know, there's no automatic promotion, is there, as super sport champion? That's just how it is sometimes. It can go the other way as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's there's only so many seats and people, people get hung up on all sorts of things like, you know, you're British super sport champion, you deserve a ride, you deserve this, you deserve that, and... You know, undoubtedly, Jack's a class rider, probably yeah. the best rider I've ever raced against, and I feel like he does deserve a seat 100%. And, um, the reason I obviously got my ride was because of my, you know, my relationship and continuity with Kawasaki. I've been with them for two seasons as a factory supported and super sport rider, and I've got the relationship with Kawasaki, and I want to progress with Kawasaki, and they believe in me, and that's why I've got that opportunity, because of loyalty. And I think that's quite important in racing as well. I think it's not always about the next best thing, the hottest thing right then. So, you know what I mean? Like the, the hottest thing on the market right yeah. there and then yeah. getting the, getting the seat. Um, I think loyalty is a big part of it. And 
I, you know, I, I notice that and respect that. And I think, um, I think in the future also with, you know, racing and in, in going from super sport to super bikes, I think that will remain like that a lot in super bike in BSB. Obviously, if you're undoubtedly talented and, you know, a really, really good super sport rider, you, you, you deserve a seat also in, in the super bike. But I think that's, I think that's a big part of what, how I got my seat was because of, you know, like I say, I'm quite fortunate where I had that, uh, you know, this year the Kawasaki was getting beaten all around the world. As you would know, you watch a lot of super sport races this season where the Yamaha was just phenomenal. And I'm racing a Kawasaki and Kawasaki recognized my efforts this season and what I was able to do on the Kawasaki. And they rewarded me with that. And that's, that's a big thing for me. Loyalty is a big thing in my eyes. So I appreciate that. And yeah, here we are. I agree with you though. I mean, it's like, I guess it's like any walk of life. If somebody comes along to a company with their CV and you know, you can see they've had a solid job with one company and then they moved on to something else. It's, it's not like someone who comes along and they've constantly been moving job every six months. It does make you wonder what's going on, doesn't it? So I, I agree with you. I think yeah. the loyalty thing's big. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's talent. Talent's one thing, but like you say, if you're always in a different ride each, each, you know, sort of year, you have to you have to try and understand why that is. You know, yeah, yeah. obviously, big things like financially and all those sort of things play big parts in that. So, yeah, I mean, um, I'm just lucky enough where I've, now I'm going into my third season with Kawasaki, and I want to just keep remaining with Kawasaki and building together. And just go back very quickly to something you said before about 2017, which was really interesting about you know, you had a chat with your team bosses and, and your dad and they said, you know, maybe you can improve on this and this and this. It's amazing, isn't it, how often we see riders maybe letting themselves go a bit with their fitness, letting it drop. You have got to be honest with yourself, haven't you, and look in the mirror from time to time. And obviously you are you seem to be very good at doing that. Yeah, I think um, the I think the biggest uh, part in being able to progress is, well, you know, or learning or getting better uh, is understanding your weaknesses and um, admitting when you're wrong or admitting when you're not good at something. And you have to identify those things. That's the hardest thing to do. If you can't see where you're going wrong, it's like everything in the world. If it's, you know, racing motorbikes or if it's a relationship or whatever it is, you know, if you can't see what you're doing wrong then you're never going to get better because you're never going to be able to fix that. And I think that was the biggest part. I think it was listening to the people around me. It's very hard to, as a motorbike racer, you know, I think a lot of people can vouch for this. It's very hard to listen to a lot of people. A lot of people are going to give you their opinions because that's what they're entitled to do. And it's very hard to, as a motorbike racer, because of social media and all these sorts of things, listen to everyone. Because you start to think, you start to get a little bit lost. But if you listen to the people that are closest to you and they're telling you and they've got nothing but good intention for you, you know, in you know, they've got your best interest in their mind and you listen to them and you can make that change. And that's what we're able to do. I made that change and, you know, more or less overnight, we were fit. I fixed and I understood what I needed to do. So, that was I was quite lucky because that at that point it was it was more like where are we going from here are we gonna okay 
it looked like the super sport season looked like it was over from that point halfway through the year I thought it's going to be tough to win from here I'm a lot of points behind obviously I never give up but it was like all right where do we go from here we finished say fourth fifth in the British super sport championship and we got to then chase all our sponsors and do it all over again and we got to pay big money to come racing again it was like where does this end where does this stop to do this because you can only do it so much and that's like what we were speaking about before about wasted talents you know there's a lot of scenarios like that where you can have all the talent in the world if you don't make it happen you know you run out of time you can't keep doing it unless obviously your dad's got an open checkbook but you know that's another story altogether but we don't unfortunately I didn't and I knew that and I was very much like wow this this could end for me and I made that change and not in my wildest dreams would have I ever thought that two years on from that point, not even two years on, and I've now, you know, signed with Kawasaki for a superbike season and we're about to go testing, you know, tomorrow I fly out to go testing, which is absolutely crazy. So that's coming up tomorrow. So what time do you fly out and when are you actually on track? Um, so tomorrow morning, fly out about seven o'clock from Liverpool, meet meet all the team there and, uh, we fly out to Malaga and then, yeah, we've got a sort of like a day, an afternoon sort of setting up and getting ourselves ready for Wednesday and Thursday, which full days on track, just, yeah, as many laps as we can to Guadix, which I've, I've never been to Guadix before, mm. so should be quite interesting learning a new track and learning a new bike as well and new team, really, you know, seeing how they work. Yeah, really so excited, what, I can't wait. What will the key sort of approach be for you then? Is it more about learning the bike or just learning the way the team works, who does what exactly? And then I guess basic things like riding position, all oh, that's pretty vital as well. It's amazing how many riders seem to oversee that in their first test. Yeah, I think um, I think there's going to be a, a massive list of things we've got to work for. I think first things first, get out there on the bike and just see what it's all about. Um, it's going to be an eye-opener, I'd imagine, and go out there and just spin a fair few laps and just understand okay this is a super bike this is not a 600 work out what yeah. what's different feel the power get used to the power obviously it's going to be a lot faster in a straight line so that's a, that's one thing so yeah I think do that and then obviously get the bike feeling somewhat like my own um, bar position foot rests all that sort of stuff gear living position etc etc and then also then obviously once I'm fully comfortable with the bike and riding it, we can start to move forward and start to work. I can work, start to work closely with my crew chief, Simon, and um, really start to understand each other, get him, give him as much feedback as I can so he can learn from how I am. He's got to, he's going to have to adjust and learn a lot as well and learn how I work and I've got to learn how he works. So, you know, two days is not enough, but to do all that, but to, it's, um, we're really fortunate that we get two days before the new year and, you know, get that two days before Christmas and then go into the off-season, I'll head home and start training and we're back again next year, sort of like March time, to do a really big testing schedule, which we're going to have plenty of time to be able to dial the bike in and really get ready for round one, I guess. And obviously, Pete Extance, it goes without saying, they know very well what they're doing. You've got Glenn Irwin as your teammate. I guess you know Glenn pretty well as well, don't you? Yeah, obviously, I raced with his brother last season. Yeah. Always been always been close to the Irwins. Um, yeah, get along with them really well. So it's ideal, to be fair, teammates. Yeah, I mean, I suppose if, if you could have chosen that, he would have been near the top of the list, I'm sure. 
Well, yeah, you know, he's top three in BSB last year, so he's one of the best. The top two are gone. So, um, yeah, yeah, true. You know, Glenn is the next next guy in line for sure on based on results last season. So uh, I think he's going to be a great guy to learn from. I think um, I think we'll be a strong little team together. Um, you know, he'll be battling for wins straight away, and I'll be just chipping away, learning step by step, not trying to get ahead of myself and whatever happens, happens sort of thing. I'm putting 110% and obviously the goal is to win. So, you know, if if I can uh, just build up, build up, build up and we'll see where we are at the end of the season. Hopefully we're strong. Yeah, well, just before we go, that leads me on to my last question, really. We're, it's still very early. I haven't even tested the bike yet. That's happening tomorrow for the first time. However, if we fast forward into this time next year, would there be something you would be pleased with, you know, if you said... I'd finished in this position in the championship or had this many podiums or, you know, is there anything you are actually aiming for specifically next year? Um, yeah, I think my goal is to, um, you know, be competitive. Um, yeah, to what yeah. nature, I'm not really sure. Um, I think I want to take the right steps forward. I don't want to toss, I don't want to uh, cost the team, you know, mil- millions of pounds in crash damage that's for sure so <laughs> i want to go i want to go out there and uh, respect what i'm doing respect the people i'm riding with and go out there and do my own sort of little schedule go step by step uh if i feel up for it and i feel uh competitive my nature is to go for it 110 yeah. percent, and that's what i'll do um, if i don't think that is possible i want to try and you know, it's, that's the that's the key word. I want to try and rein myself in and not get ahead of myself and try too hard and ha- make big mistakes and get injured. So I think that's that's the my goal next year is to uh, take the the right steps forward and be competitive by the end of the season, whether it's on the podium or whether it's knocking on the door of the podium, and not have too many crashes and get hurt. I think that's that is if I can tick those boxes. And then we can go again the following season and try and win. And then, as you said, back to Australia, was it for the off season? Just switch off for a while? Yeah, three months, I think, back home. Nice. Fly out after the NEC. So I can't wait. It's been a long stint over here. Uh, January I got here, which is a lot earlier than usual. And so I'll be be home the end of November and I won't get back till uh, after World Superbikes, actually. I'll be out in Australia for World Superbikes. Oh, nice. Okay, well, I might see so you there. I'm looking then. forward to that. Yeah, so we'll catch up for sure when we're out there. And yeah, I'm really looking forward. I missed the World Superbikes out there, you know, for a few years now. So I'm really looking to getting out there and uh, watching Leon make his debut as well for, for Kawasaki. But well, not his debut, but his debut back in World Superbikes. Yeah. You know, yeah. after a couple of seasons off. So really looking forward to that. Uh, you know, play some golf and enjoy the sun. I know exactly. I know exactly. I was just going to say, I know exactly what you mean there, because we come back from the late summer in Australia, don't we? And it's back to freezing cold Europe at the end of February, beginning of March. (laughs) But it is what it is. Yeah. But we don't have to wait long, hopefully, until it starts to brighten back up, which is good. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, Ben, we're really looking forward to seeing what you can manage to do next year. And um, yeah, I suppose the key is just enjoy it and good luck. Yeah, thanks, Greg. It's, uh, It's been great speaking to you and hopefully catch up soon. You too. Thanks, Ben. Thank you very much indeed to Benko for joining us. And Ben, good luck with the test tomorrow. That's Tuesday, of course, of this week. Tuesday, the 6th of November, the first test for Ben Curry on the BSB Bournemouth Kawasaki at the Guadiz circuit in Spain. But in the meantime, 
Can I just say thank you very much to all of you for joining us across the season on the first season of the Full Throttle podcast. It's been an interesting one, hasn't it? Some interesting guests along the way, some funny moments, maybe some controversial moments, who knows, but some very honest interviews. And thank you more than anything to all of the guests we've had with us this season. And of course, to you for listening back at home. Continue, please, to be honest, send in your suggestions. What do you like about the podcast? What maybe don't you like about the podcast? Do you prefer the longer versions, the shorter ones? Do you prefer a combination of guests or maybe just one nice little interview like we've had with Ben Curry today? All suggestions are always welcome. And of course, please, if you can help us online on social media and subscribe and give us a few likes in places like iTunes and Spotify and through the Eurosport social media channels, Always very much appreciated. I'd also just like to say thank you personally to all of the guys, Alex, Chick, Kev, and the whole team back at Feltham in London, where all of these podcasts are edited together for all of your work across the season. It's been a pleasure working with all of you, and we will all be back in action very soon, I'm sure, with some special editions of the podcast on the run-up to Christmas, and then, of course, looking ahead closer to 2019. But for now, from Greg Haynes and from the Full Throttle Podcast, enjoy your November. Speak to you soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.